When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Better Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And we are back with you on Wednesdays. Wednesdays are back. We heard you. I heard your, your cries of agony to bring Wednesdays back. And here we are. Here we are. Yes, I am very eager to talk to you, especially with all the news that is going on. You Would know. have been a lot of news for... Uh, I mean, theoretically, after no, that Trump left office, good. we were supposed to have less news and maybe not have to do it every day. But that has not been the case. But what were we going to do with these four topics if we had to shove them into tomorrow? Yeah, no, I think the three of us, you know, as we've been corresponding about, you know, what's happening right now. Let's just get into the conversation. Yes, <laughs> sounds yeah. good. Sounds good. But we're going to start with a little pop culture opener. We have a lot of fucked up shit to discuss today, as Sammy mentioned. All of that fucked up shit I learned on the Internet personally, which begs the question, how does Selena Gomez know how to feel about things as she hasn't been on the internet for four years? I was astounded to read this yesterday. Selena Gomez, who was previously the most followed person on Instagram, told Good Morning America yesterday that she hasn't been on the internet in four and a half years. I guess my first question is if we believe that. What is your definition of the internet? Like, does she not read anything digital or does she not go on social media? That's she my She did not elaborate, question. but this is also my question because she gave this interview while promoting an app she co-founded. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's do the you internet. Google stuff. Yeah. Like, where do you, do you look in an encyclopedia if you want to know something? That's my question. I can buy or will allow myself to believe <laughs> that she has not like looked at her own socials, and I believe that in the way that like a person would be sober from a substance. And like, yeah, sure, if she did right. that for her mental health, wonderful. She that's great, but I. Yeah, I, I could believe that. Like, I could believe that she has people who gate her use of certain apps so that she doesn't read really bad things about herself that could really hurt her mental health. So that I'll, I'll buy. Yeah, I guess it's only believable if you grant she has like a team of people who can filter things for her. I don't believe she went fully analog. I don't think she's going like, oh, man, I don't know how to like whether or not my eggs are fresh. <laughs> better like instead of going to google i'm gonna go to the library like bitch no yeah we know you're googling things stop 
Stop pretending that you're not on the internet at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what she did mean was more like, so here's the quote. She says, I am happier, more present. I connect with more people. I understand how powerful the internet is. And in so many ways, it's done the best thing for the world. But for me, I get my news that is actually important through people in my life. So I suppose she is just interacting with people to get her news or turning on the TV. It seems like a tremendous privilege to be able to live your life and not use the internet. Well, at first I was thinking, like, okay, where does she look up like movie times? Not that that's, that's just like a very old fashioned weird thing for me to think of. But I, yeah. I mean things like that. Like, where do you look up flights? But then I'm like, she doesn't look up flights. She doesn't, look up, she doesn't Google where I should like... Yeah, I don't know. Where should I go? Nail place near me. Like she's not Googling that. So if she is truly analog, it's just because she has other people using the internet for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be that would be my I mean, I don't even know how it's possible to be truly analog. Like grandma has internet right now. Like yes. I'm trying to figure out like how you get all the way analog when even people who still have home phone numbers are like, nah, I, I know what the Google is, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but it, it is basically like, okay, so I'm not going to use the internet, but you can use the internet for me here, take this smartphone and look up this thing I'd like to know. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm very curious what that actual intake has looked like. But I mentioned on the podcast last week that I was feeling like legitimately like, addiction issues with my phone. And a lot of people reached out saying that they'd felt it too and just were like really frustrated by it. A lot of people suggested I take up knitting because it like keeps your hands busy and you're engaged while you're like watching TV or something. You're getting some sort of input, It's which is basically like what Caitlin said, like you recommended doing those games. I've done better in the past week. I've actually watched like, I've watched a lot of full shows. I just put it away and I like remind myself that I will feel better about the world if I participate in it. Aww. I put my phone, I have a little set of drawers like in my, my desk area and I put my phone into the opaque drawer <laughs> when I have to write. <laughs> so like, I can't, it just, it just goes out of sight. But also the magic right now of iOS 15 and the different focuses <laughs> allows yeah. me to like put on a work focus, put it in the drawer and then not be interrupted while like I, it's just not present. See, my issue is that like I can't get into the habit of like remembering to do that, remembering to put my phone away. Like I theoretically have this new policy for myself where like I leave my phone in my bedroom in the morning and then I start working just reading the news. But I always forget every day I forget. And then it's just another reason to get to get down on myself. See, I mean, I think I know the answer to this question, but do you do anything, employ anything to moderate your phone use? No, I gave up on like all that pretend Zen shit probably about three years ago. And like, you know what? I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like, like it truly there is something to just letting go of your anxiety about screen time because like also yes I want to also add that I, I find that like the anxiety about having like good screen habits and like things in that realm I actually think for me that leads to more anxiety over the thing and then it becomes like guilt ridden and like a big yeah. deal and then I can't just sort of like live in my own happy life yeah. at the moments that I'm granted that feeling so you know it's just why i never turned on screen time i knew it was a trap from the moment i saw it i was like i see what you're gonna do to me and the truth is if i have a really busy day you know like 
there have been days where I had to be like, I just had to be online. Like when yeah. some, a big news story is happening or whatever, not being present on Twitter or, you know, for work reasons, there's always a reason for me to pop online or even when I'm distracting myself with a game or whatever, you know, so oftentimes I'm doing other reading or listening or something so I can gather information. And it's like, well, I, I don't want to be judged by my phone for yes. these days when I really need to be engaging. I with never the turn world. it on either. Yeah. So the most important thing is for you to feel a sense of contentment with how you're interacting with your phone. And if you do not feel content, then you should change how you interact with it. But you shouldn't be measuring yourself by anyone else's standards other than how comfortable you are with your device. That is where I am. To your point, I completely agree with that. Like you're, it's really about how you feel. And also if if you are gathering information that helps you be a better writer and commentator, then obviously being on your phone is good for your life. Yeah, exactly. It's part of the job. Yeah. I mean, I liked that episode because they talked about like when people ask you like, how do you not get burnt out about politics, which I'm sure people ask us all the time. And they both answered, we are. We are completely burned out. We This is annoying. Nobody wants to talk about this anymore, but we have to. What if we didn't? Like, everybody's burnt out about – like, you wouldn't ask other people about their job. Like, are you burnt out from working at your Amazon job? Of course you are, but we got to do it. It's also like, I'm sure Picasso got burnt out on painting sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> you, the thing that you're good at, you get, like, tired of occasionally, and you still fucking do it because – to do anything else would not be the thing that you're meant to be doing, assuming that's like how you feel about what you're doing. But I do feel that with the three of us, that is the case. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. if you're listening, we will validate your screen time. You are part of this team. Just so you know, yeah. I also think about the activists who are like doing like some super hardcore shit. I'm just like, if they can do that, then I can cover why this is important to people who are not on the exactly. ground. I have to be able to say that. So at least it helps validate and share the work that these people are doing that is like, I could not do that. I could not. But the fact that they are like, we need to reinforce and support each other. Right. So Mm -hmm. I can write things and be snarky. I can do that all day. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And just in time for us accepting our role on social media, Twitter has announced that Elon Musk will join its board of directors after he took out a 9% share in the company. I think it's like 9.2. He's now Twitter's largest shareholder. This comes after a lot. It comes after Musk's frequent criticism of the platform. And despite this, Twitter's CEO said that, quote, through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it's become clear to us that he would bring great value to our board. Yes, that's exactly what the discourse seems to need is guys who troll octogenarian senators deciding how Twitter can be friendlier to users. Famously, Elon Musk just like dragged Bernie Sanders for no reason. 
In recent weeks, Musk has also suggested that Twitter does not allow enough free speech. He thinks that people should be able to say more incendiary things and that they should make it their algorithm open source. This isn't just an unusual move because of what we know about Elon Musk and him being a Twitter troll, but he's also been kind of like taken to task by the SEC for the way he uses Twitter. Tweets about potentially taking Tesla private got him into quite a lot of trouble. He tweeted that he had apparently funding secured for Tesla to become a private company, which obviously this is the world's richest man. This company is a lot of interest to people who invest. That obviously sparked certain actions that were not, this was not appropriate for him to tweet. And the SEC accused him of misleading the market. And he got some, some consequences for that as part of his 2019 settlement with the commission. Musk tweets about many aspects of the company now have to be vetted by lawyers before he posts them. So a man who can't even post his own tweets about his company is now on the board of Twitter. But the SEC has said that he repeatedly violates this agreement anyway. Some other stuff that he's done on social media, he has questioned vaccines, vaccinations, various COVID restrictions. He's not just like a troll, like devil's advocate kind of guy. Like he's doing anti-vax shit. He retweeted an anti-vax meme in December. Again, maybe that's allowed. Pretty surprising they put him on the board. He's since come out apparently to say that the science on vaccination is solid. I wonder if these things have anything to do with each other, the potential to be put on Twitter's board. He's also publicly questioned the value of contributing to the World Food Program to fight hunger. Who does that? And Twitter has said Musk will be subject to the same community guidelines as everyone while he's on the board, which I believe would last through 2024 at this point. Why does Twitter think this was a positive step? I mean, it's the home of edgelords and... Nazis everywhere. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, except for the ones who've been forced to move over to Gab, I think like ultimately, I mean, it's a publicity thing. It's a way of Elon Musk showing that rules don't apply to him. Nothing gets a billionaire more excited than impunity. You know, (laughs) just the knowledge that nothing is ever going to, they just, they'll never face any kind of consequences for their actions. And what better way to protect yourself against consequences than being the largest stakeholder in the company (laughs) that would get you in trouble with the SEC. So now, how is the SEC supposed to say, well, we're going to impose consequences on you for your tweets? And he's like, well, I'm a part owner of Twitter. I'm on the board, you know? So, I mean, who's going to hold him responsible for anything? You know, he took over one of the few spaces where he might have faced consequences for his actions. And now, you know, he has that. He owns it. He also, within like hours of this announce of like becoming the biggest shareholder, he tweeted about polling users whether Twitter should have an edit button, which is an SEC violation. And then within hours of that, Twitter was like, we're going to add an edit button. So I don't really understand how, like, what is the SEC supposed to mean if he already has an SEC investigation and violations and the equivalent of the fine is like less than like his monthly plane bill, like his private jet bill. And it's like, so you have that. And then he literally, the second he becomes the biggest shareholder of what people allege is the public square of the internet he then violates the SEC regulations again. So what is the point of the SEC is my question. Yeah, I don't know why we keep expecting these tech platforms and the people who run them and the people who profit off them to have any internal motivation to regulate themselves. They have none. And then you see like very rare instances where there has been intervention and it's not seeming to be enforced. The entire process of like, I think one of the the great takeaways we have to pull from this experience of like the the early 21st century and the information age and all of that is like 
more information does not make people better arbiters of that information. People are not capable of swimming through all of this content on their own. And functionally, as a society, we have to do more to express people and to get people to understand and to build frameworks that require people to understand the consequences of putting things on the internet and that it's, it is permanent <laughs> to some degree and that you need to be responsible for what you put out there. And, you know, the, to see Elon Musk talking about how there's not enough free speech, what would make free speech freer? And who exactly are we talking about not being able to say what they want? Because I have very little trouble you know, saying what I mean, but I also understand that there are consequences for when I do say certain things that I have to be held responsible for the words I put out there. And that when I contribute something that actually has to express an idea that informs and, you know, I mean, yeah, I curse a lot, but like, I also understand that like when I, if I'm going to comment on something out of my lane that I need to be keeping my space on that as small as possible. So I don't push a boundary that ends up pointing out, like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre to me that he wants an edit button, but also says there should be more free speech. It's like, so you want to say whatever you want, but then also edit it if people don't like it and pretend it didn't happen. I think if there's just like a timed 30 second edit button that gives you a chance to see like, and you can only edit once and like, there's, there's gotta be like yeah. really strict rules on this, but like, I think there's like a delay. Uh, if you get Twitter blue, which is the paid version, which no, um, <laughs> but if you're <laughs> for my social Super media, Twitter. are you insane? I'm the, <laughs> yeah. I make everything worth, you know, anything at all, but there's a delay, you know, it's like, do you want to send tweet? And it gives you 30 seconds to review it. Uh, and you can decide to make an edit in that span. That to me is the perfect edit button because you can't revoke it once you agree to send the tweet, but you do have time to just check over and see if there's anything that you'd like to change. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like primo, you know, that 30 second delay before tweeting, maybe we should, maybe we should be like a whole minute delay so you, for some okay, people. Okay, so it, interesting. So you can't you can't say, no, thanks, I don't want 30 seconds. It's like you are going to wait 30 seconds before we post No, this. no. It okay. basically gives you the option. You can send it immediately or yeah. it, can give, it gives you a chance to like give you 30 seconds to like see if you want to do edits. Mm-hmm. So you initially press send and then it's like, do you want to send? It gives you 30 seconds to do it and you can send again. Like, you can I think it, it should again, force like, you to wait 30 seconds. Like, I, think I that really the, feel everyone would benefit think from read, a little bit extra time. Yeah. The the quote tweet feature where now you it's like, do you want to read it first? I like that. I think that's good. I, I don't know how much it stops it, but it at least forces people to think like, oh, yeah, I'm just sharing something that I have no idea what this says. Right. That's true. I'm just frustrated. It doesn't tell if you actually read it. But if you read it, like I read some things like in Safari, I'll open them up in Safari yeah. and I'll read them. And then it asks me if I want to read it when I retweet. I'm like, I I know it's just offensive. read it. <laughs> Give me some credit. I did actually open this. So maybe like a better way of reading those links. So it punctures your overachiever. It. It's like, how dare you? I did read this Twitter. <laughs> that's so true. But okay, can we talk about like a bigger picture question about why someone like Elon Musk and his ilk can basically, like you said, operate with impunity and 
the fact that they have now it's not just like oh you own a really big company like bill gates in you know the 90s or early 2000s where he just sort of like has his company he has his money now it's like the governmental influence and the public dis the influence on public discourse that they have is so much more substantial and like the pattern of these billionaires becoming so prominent in like looming so large in the lives of Americans beyond if you even have a Tesla. Like that is what really concerns me because there doesn't seem to be anything much resistance to that on a fundamental level. Yeah. Is this where though, was that kind of the idea that you were getting at in your tweet thread last night, Caitlin? That tweet thread like took me to church. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I mean, my upcoming project for my Patreon, this, I know it's not, I don't do monthly anymore, but the, the upcoming project I'm working on is uh, rereading Rana Farrar's Makers and Takers and at the same time rereading Capital in the 21st Century by Thomas Piketty because I'm a dork. Caitlin, that book is like <laughs> is, is like 700 so pages. Hard. It was like the most- I thought you were going like to say it's first... so good. <laughs> You're rereading it. One of them is like really, really easy and like accessible. Thank you, my phone. I would have to throw my phone in the sea to read that. Caitlin, book. that book is a doorstop. <laughs> it is. I read it. I've read it already. So I have the advantage of rereading it. You should have an Etsy shop where you repurpose your books as doorstops. Everyone just Google how thick this book is and probably how small the it's font is. It's about like 800 pages of macroeconomics, yeah. basically. But but here's the thing. I, I One of the things that really like struck me was that like our economy is just so like ruinous and I took up that project yeah. and like yesterday my significant other was very was actually feeling quite ill and so he stayed home with me. <laughs> I mean, I work from home. Yeah. So I was watching like scam shit all day. Like we were just doing like I was watching that the the fictionalized Uber. Yes. <laughs> I was watching the WeWork documentary again. I haven't seen We Crashed. I don't know how much I want to engage with that because I, I mean, I don't know about Jerry Leto, but like I know that it's just completely wild. The accent drives me fucking nuts after you, I can't watch more than one episode about of it at the time because the accent, which sounds like the Adam Newman's real accent, just it's so annoying after. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that always gets me is how they're talking about these people are so charismatic. Like, you just can't say no. And I'm here being like, I actually create valuable things and no one will give me money, you weirdo. <laughs> Caitlin, <laughs> like, do not even get me fucking started on this. I rant about this to Amanda and anyone who will listen all the time, <laughs> that if I and my co-founders were men, we would have $100 million for doing absolutely nothing. And people would just happily give it to us. Like, they would be like, you don't need to, like, show any proof. Like, I mean, to be fair, Theranos is out here, you know, but she had to, like, science fiction change the nature of human bodies oh yeah know, she fucking in order like, to get people to invest that money i mean we were completely was like, we're not a real estate company but we were a community and you got like four billion dollars and i was like right because you put what? up some fucking signs <laughs> and some kegs in in offices that you don't even own you were flipping leases like it, it that's what just it's wild. crazy to me and somehow you become a high net worth individual when you can't even like like eventually you run into a place where you can't even stably pay people because your business is you misrepresented it knowingly like you misrepresented it without 
based i don't even understand how they get away with this how do they fucking fool these people is what floors me we all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day i'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs but ever since i switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros i've noticed so many benefits healthier hair and skin yes but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. My major question is why is Uber worth $91 billion when it has never profitable, never been profitable in its entire time existing and destroyed, destroyed the taxi industry. It drives me fucking crazy. Okay. I'm just going to say this as a company that we have been around for 11 years. We have never laid off a single person. We have been profitable for I several years at this point. And we have literally never been able to like inflate our value in any way. I'll tell you, I'll let the audience into a little production note. I'm currently planning a TikTok where like maybe me or Aileen Jordana and I are all in a TikTok where we act like the founders in these scammer documentaries. And it's like, it's like, oh, like, and you pull these like fucking brazen moves, like with these very important people, like the former secretary of state, you're like, and here is a magic trick. And they're like, here's your private jet. And it's like, what? Imagine, can you imagine me trying to walk into a room and like pull some shit like that? And they're just like, oh, here you go, $200 million. Like, you're now going to live in, you now can afford six homes. It's like, where, what are you producing? And it blows my mind because as I was sitting there, like watching all of these, first of all, the most important thing to take away from any scam doc is. Rich people are not smarter than you. No, They're not better you. than you. Yes. They have absolutely nothing that recommends them more than you. You, They are just random people. Pathological, they usually. Think, and the, the biggest problem that they have is that no one ever challenges them. Nope. They are it's almost the money never actually people. asked to. But the money isn't even real. The money isn't even based on anything. It's I like, mean, like, as I pointed out, Uber's worth $91 billion. But if you classified their workers as, like, workers, mm-hmm. they would yep. evaporate overnight. Like, literally, their entire business model relies on <laughs> right. mass exploitation. <laughs> and if at any point they're like, actually, you need to, like, treat these people like they're employees, their entire process collapses. That's not a business model. That's, what is that? That's literally a pyramid. That's how they built the pyramid scheme. When we talk about literal pyramids, where it's like, oh, we're just going to continue throwing people at it until it's built. That's, uh, if no. you think about all the founders' names that you know, yeah. all the companies that like got so big and everyone was talking about, 
that were on the covers of huge magazines that are supposed to be the arbiters of business journalism. So these alleged journalists aren't even vetting these people closely enough. I get that they're private companies and you can really only do so much. But let's talk logic here. Like, logically, how are you worth $91 billion when you have zero, when you're operating at a loss while not even actually paying your employees as employees? Well, not only that, not only did they do all of this, that they grow Uber by like artificially deflating the price of rides. In the meantime, they completely impacted the livelihood of so many cab drivers. And now you have people that are like, why is this so expensive? It was never not expensive. It was always expensive. It's because they were doing magic tricks in front of venture capitalists to give them the money to pay for our rides, hoping Mm -hmm. that in a couple years, it's wild. And even companies that like but anyone sort of, who can do math would know that that is not true. sustainable pricing. And it's just not like I, I don't think that you need basic economics. <laughs> well, basic math. It is addition, subtraction and multiplication that will tell you that you cannot afford that model. It's just not doable. And like, I don't understand why no one was questioning that. But then I'm like, wait. Who is actually benefiting from a fake short-term inflation in value? It's because you have these venture capital firms who just want to take their money off the table in five or t- five years or 10 years, and they don't really care what happens at year 11 or no. like if this company cannot cease to exist because they have taken these gains and then found a way to not pay taxes on them. Anyway, it's all the infuriating house of cards. Comes down to the way that our economy works right now. It's just the set of like asset bubbles where like rich people with too much money and way too much ego are insisting that like this stuff is worth something. But then we're all expected to run around. I mean, Uber is basically a classic monopoly scheme. Their key aspect was we're going to corner the market. Once we corner the market, we're going to price gouge to make up the money that we burned at the beginning. Because where else are they going to go? And this literally gets said multiple times by in like, yes, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I like love him deep down. But like, (laughs) you know, multiple times Travis Kalanick is like, where are they going to go? What else are they going to do? They can't do anything once we have them captive. And I was like, that's a monopoly. We literally know what happens because we did this a century ago. And that's what happens when, you know, you're once you're more than three generations past something and it's your great grandparents who you never knew who lived through it and are like, this would be a bad idea. That's when the, <laughs> when the living memory has collapsed. Yeah. Oh, so that's God. when you see these things rebuild. Well, then we're in for an endless cycle. <laughs> and that's what Elon Musk, like all yeah. of them are part of these processes. And more importantly, they're trying to create a sense of propaganda that keeps us thinking that like the massive people that you don't see who are hurt by these companies, who are undermined by these processes, who are like destroyed and eviscerated, their lives become meaningless because these companies have sucked the marrow out of their bones. All of that becomes invisible and all you get to see are, you know, Elon Musk, you know, smoking weed and talking shit. And you think, that guy's super cool. I want to be like him. It's like, okay, statistically, you can't. And right. second of all, he's from apartheid South Africa on top of, a, you know, emerald mines. So he, he's, all these guys were born rich. Not yeah. as rich as they are now, but they were all born rich. You People weren't as rich as they, they are now back then. 
Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. other thing. It's like you could be right. not incredibly rich and you could be comfortable or you could be not rich at all and still comfortable. Like that dynamic does not exist anymore. And it is a direct correlation with the fact that there are people who are so rich. I do just want to say to add two more elements into this. One is the cultural problem of the glorification of assholes. That is, I don't understand. I mean, I guess on, you know, like some sort of human condition, human nature level, I can understand why assholes are appealing. But I think that there's also a cultural element that is specific to America that makes assholes particularly appealing. And I think it could have something to do with the fact that like exploitative capitalism is considered like boss-like. Like that's considered boss-like badass behavior. And it becomes even more scary and problematic when you think about where in history we are, because back in the day, like Gilded Age, you didn't have the additional question of like, I hate to bring it up, climate change, where you now have these people who are so rich that they can figure out how to plan for the next, where they're going to go when the world ceases to be inhabitable. And they're taking an active role in making it less inhabitable. Right. Making it less inhabitable while like planning their new space station or their bunker or their super yacht that they're going to live on. And like, so that almost like clock running out feel that they're not even they're like okay we just won't well, live on not earth anymore the, right. they're not subject yeah. to the consequences of their actions either because they won't be here anymore or they are going to find a way to withstand them withstand them anyway and it is so so crazy to me that twitter would reward this and say this is the type of just do this and we will put you on the board i mean i guess it's not just this he also could buy it all but like he's allowed to be an asshole like i guess that, because you don't have to sell to talk about to any like <laughs> capitalistic scams that are also environmentally harmful is <laughs> leave crypto crypto is like a, a circle you know, in the Venn diagram of shit that's a scam and shit that will destroy us. Do you think us. our lack of regulation plays a role in this too? Like, oh, for sure. If it were regulated, it wouldn't be worth anything. That's the problem. No, here's the thing. <laughs> NFTs and crypto in general, like capitalism, don't have to be bad. It's like an right. NFT can be a valuable asset to own if there is value behind it. The concept of an NFT is actually like a really interesting product, I think, because in theory, if Banksy made an NFT, that's a valuable, that is like Mm -hmm. having a Banksy piece. Like, it's not that the concept of an NFT, just the same way that the concept of a business is not bad. It's when it becomes about pricing things at it values that common sense tells you are not possible. consumption, yeah. And there is no buyer. I mean, I guess technically there, you know, where there are no buyers who are not in, or workers who are not in some ways lightly coerced mm-hmm. into these economic conditions. And it's not like capitalism that's the problem. It is because you can have like a business, you can have supply and demand. It's like that it becomes ridiculous and exploitative and harmful and not based in reality. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the people that run those companies are hearing from the shareholders, too, who are saying, hey, we want a better return. And then if you're already it's like good people who start businesses and accept capital can turn to when they're getting that pressure and then they can have like poor conditions. But especially if you didn't give a shit at the beginning, like some of these guys, like then you're you're definitely you're definitely in for it. 
We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. We'll do one more story today that shows us just how dangerous a tweet can be, which is, of course, January 6th showed us that. Ivanka Trump, we heard this morning, testified virtually before the January 6th committee. People present said she answered the questions and didn't invoke any privileges or plead the fifth and also notable, I guess. I mean, it shouldn't be notable, but it is right that she went there voluntarily without a subpoena, which is normally how things go. So I won't I won't give her too many applause for that. Benny Thompson, he is co-chair of this committee. He said of Ivanka's testimony that, quote, she's answering questions. I mean, you know, not in a broad chatty term, but she's answering questions. Her experience on January 6th is of particular interest to the committee because a, I think it was an associate of Mike Pence told them that she was repeatedly trying to get her dad to tell the insurrectionists to stand down, that she was like involved in that. We do not know what was going on during that period. We know there was quite a delay in seeing this happen and the seeing him actually ask them to stand down. And the then president was even, people say, rewinding his television to rewatch the chaos. She testified about a week after Jared did. Jared also went voluntarily or just went. And of that testimony, Benny Thompson, Benny Thompson has given us, is sneaking, uh, sneaking little gems for us. He said that there were some things revealed, but we'll just share that a little later. I mean, just wanted to include this story today, even though there's not from it, just because the fact that like, we're even talking about whether this, like, how is this man not in jail? I say it every week. I say it every week. So not enough political will and just generally people like in bed with each other and sort of. But we run all really this stuff, impotent. Sammy. What is happening? Okay. They're impotent. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, impotent, maybe not motivated. I don't know other things We talked about the Justice Department's but- motivation last week. Yeah. Yeah, but but let's talk Ivanka and my read on Benny Thompson's analysis mm-hmm. of what because you know very specific, watched, yeah I've watched yeah. Ivanka 
I read what he said. And what she's doing is she's just going there. She's offering probably information that she knows that they know already or yeah. that they can easily conclude or that they she knows that they can probably access. Ivanka is very wily. She fools people for many years. Like right now we have a lot of like animosity towards Ivanka. But if you think about how like the general establishment spoke about her until let's say 2018 2019 like I think she's trying to use those soft skills to get back to that place yeah while not fundamentally screwing over her father I'm sure the fact that Jared went a week before you think they didn't talk about what they talked about you know right and I think that she comported herself in a way that would lead Benny Thompson to be like She's not so bad. Let me like give her a, a decent review. And then yeah. now everyone's talking about how Ivanka was like cooperative and like sunshine. Just that's yeah. why I think this could be, you know, I don't it's such a it's hard to offer your analysis on without being like how the fuck would you know? But right. I'm just giving my impression based on watching these people and how they operate. I mean, to answer the question of, uh, to go back for a second and answer the question of, like, why isn't he in jail aside from, like, political will? I mean, the answer is is that no one wants to gather the political will. And it's also super hard to jail a president. I mean, when the presidency is, in so many ways, our royal family, you know, like, we give it this broad respect for in some ways important reasons like it is essential that like the presidency maintains the highest office in the land status but on the other side it just allows for this like wantonness and the way that republicans have successfully seeded the ground against you know anything the democrats would do by saying it's all political or whatever it's like democrats have have never been the type to successfully judo flip you know any of the arguments that republicans make about true you know who is responsible for things and i mean to some degree democrats care more about republicans feelings than they do about like reality about the government about facts i get constantly frustrated at like well we don't want to upset the voters it's like well there's a whole chunk of voters first of all people who don't vote because they think it's worthless And then there's a whole chunk of people who want to be on your side and you don't want to motivate them at all. Mm -hmm. And we're going into a midterms where you're about to lose power. And what is it that you are planning to do to prevent that? You know, there's just not enough power seeking on the Democratic side for it to be successful. And you sow enough doubt. And that's the key aspect, right? You know, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, we saw it happen and unfold. And in the moment where doubt was not present. The moment where we were all confirmed, Democrats raced through an impeachment trial to satisfy Mitch McConnell so that he would allow COVID, you know, money to go through, which, you know, the actual answer is get into a fight about it. Yeah. Make him defend holding up COVID relief to defend this man who he admits committed a crime. Everyone admitted that he committed a crime. In the moment, on January 6th, you were out there being like, nah, this shit is good. I'm hoping that they take me out, drag me by my hair plugs. Yeah, That's the life I want. (laughs) Like, no, man. Like, you know know that's not true. (laughs) You know you don't want to be dragged out. You know that they're going to come for you. (laughs) I mean, Mitch McConnell wasn't safe that day, and he knows it. 
So the idea that he was going to be okay, like he, he knows on January 6th that if he had been asked in his bunker whether or not he believed that Donald Trump was innocent, he would have been like, nah, that motherfucker is terrible. Like, and yeah. you, you wasted that opportunity to put him on the record and on the defensive. He did go on the record, though, but it doesn't matter because they have a propaganda arm that mm-hmm. makes it yes. not matter. That's another, like, critical piece of this. Do you remember that Saturday morning when we were going to do another impeachment and then or conviction even? And then they were going to call witnesses and then everyone got really upset for, like, 15 minutes. And then all they did was enter a sentence into the into the record. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. That to me was like watching that go down. That says everything. Totally. That says everything about what they will not do about anything. They would rather be praised for what they don't do than attacked for what they do. You know, attacked for their actions. They're a parent who tries to say no. They're but enablers. When the kid yeah. is like, I hate you. They're like, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. They're <laughs> that definitely would be me as a parent. Probably. That's enabler. why I'm a Democrat. that is our show today in summary rich people are not smarter than you i will be titling the episode that thank you caitlin until Until caitlin and amanda you guys get incredibly rich and then we'll have to reassess (laughs) perfect yeah precisely until the end of democracy i'm amanda duberman i'm sammy sage i'm caitlin bird and this is the betches up podcast bye the betches sub podcast is produced by amanda duberman jorge morales pico and sean kilby editing by jorge morales pico social media by amanda duberman be sure to follow at betches underscore sup on instagram twitter and tiktok and send us your emails to suppod at betches.com betches